I'm so glad to see you all. I talked to my mom this morning at 6.30. They've called off church in Tulsa. Huh? They've either gone pagan or they just don't know how to drive in the snow. So I, I think it's the last, the latter part of it. So anyway, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great Christians in Tulsa. So it's, they had uh, like 10 inches on uh, Christmas and the city is shut down. So... And so I said, well, Mom, how are you going to eat? <laughs> because she doesn't really have much in her refrigerator, she, except like boxes of cereal. I, I, I don't even have time to get into that. But her small group brought some chili from Ron's Chili, which is kind of a, you know, landmark chili place in Tulsa. So she's, she's good for the weekend. Anyway, that's not in my notes. I'm just, anyway. <laughs> I just wanted to say I'm glad to see you all here this weekend, huh? All right, amen, good. Father in heaven, hmm. Um, what a wonderful and holy God you are. Thank you for bringing us life. Thank you that in this season we get to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Behold, the mystery of godliness is great. God appeared in a body. And he is the life of this church. He's the life of our lives. And for that, we're so appreciative and so grateful. And I'm grateful to be with uh, my family here this Christmas season. And we want to feed on your word now. And we, wanna, we, want, uh, we want to be nourished and encouraged by what you have to say. Because your word is life. Uh, so give it to us, Lord, because we need it. We come, we come uh, um, unashamed to say we need your word and we need your wisdom. Um, we are so grateful for all that you have done. Help me get out of the way so that what you once said gets said to the glory of God and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Betty Tucker. Betty Tucker may very well be the most valuable employee at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. I read about her in uh, the Chicago Tribune. Now, Betty's not a brain surgeon. Betty is, uh, she doesn't do open heart surgery. She doesn't work in the ER. She doesn't do kidney dialysis. Her operating table is a griddle, and her instruments are the spatula and the frying pan. And Betty has been working the night shift at Children's Memorial Hospital for uh, 28 of the 43 years that she's been at Children's Memorial. And her co-workers tell her, she, tell about her, she says she's just not a cook. This is what they say. She's known as the healer with a pot of soup and a prayer. And if you knew anything about Children's Memorial Hospital, you'd know how important Betty is because Children's Memorial is probably one of the saddest places in the city, if you really think about the different life situations that occur there. Uh, I'm thinking about the three-year-old who fell out of a second-story window. 
I'm thinking about the 17-year-old with a rare form of leukemia. I'm thinking about the 18-year-old who had had seven hours of brain surgery. And then there's 26-year-old Sean who has had 88 brain and heart surgeries since he was born. He spent the entire first year of his life at Children's Memorial Hospital. Betty has been there his entire life. And whenever Sean goes to Children's Memorial, he's got to have Betty's French toast because it's the best. This is what one of the employees says about her, about Betty. You've got a lot of sad parents at this hospital, and then you've got this woman. And not only her food, but you see her face, and you just know she's going to take care of you. Where Betty works, it's not technical. Where Betty works, there's not medical ease or medical language. With Betty, it's pure love. You see that smile of hers, and it's infectious, and it just spreads right across the counter. And all of the workers at Children's Memorial tell the parents, very first thing you need to do after you get your child checked in, go see Miss Betty. Miss Betty. That's how she's referred. Miss, go see Miss Betty. Go see her for nourishment and go see her for encouragement. Here's how, here's how they talk about Betty. You need someone to bring you life and Betty brings it in the middle of the night. You need someone. You need someone to bring you life. You need someone to bring you life. Now there's a truth that we need to talk about right there. Bringing Others, life. Bringing people, life. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Titus. We're concluding our study in Paul's letter to Titus. And the verses that we're going to look at this morning are all about bringing people life. Bringing people life. Being the kind of person who brings people life. Titus chapter 3, verses 12 to 15, are on page 845 of your church Bibles. Now, there's a story here. The letter to Titus, is, there's, a real, there's a story behind the letter to Titus. We didn't just get this letter. Uh, it did just materialize out of nowhere. The Apostle Paul, somewhere after the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul and Titus went to the island of Crete, and they started churches. All, and it was, they were in the cities of Crete. And then Paul had to leave and left Titus there uh, to strengthen these churches. And we have been reading through and studying how, in the letter of Titus, he is to strengthen these churches. And here, as these uh, concluding verses teach us, this, Paul is telling us instructions and encouragements. And I want you to listen to what he has to say as he concludes this letter. Titus 3, verses 12 to 15. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Nicopolis. Now, Nicopolis was a city on the western coast of Greece. And Nicopolis was kind of like our Appomattox courthouse uh, where uh, the Civil War concluded in American history. Well, Nicopolis was where Augustus Caesar defeated Antony uh, uh, and the Roman Republic became a Roman Empire. 
little bit of history there. And that's why it's called Nicopolis. It's called Victory City. Okay? Nicopolis, Nicopolis, city, Victory City. Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now these verses, I mean, there are people and places mentioned and closing final remarks, but, but the story behind these verses is a story about bringing people life. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. That's what, that's what Paul is talking to Titus about in these verses. And that's the lesson that we need to get. If we, don't forget any, if we forget everything else about these verses, let's not forget that God wants his people. God wants us. God wants people who have Christ's life. They need to be about the business of bringing other people life. If you've got Christ's life in you, then you need to be about the business, you need to be about the mission, you need to be about the task of bringing other people life. Now, there's two sides to this coin, aren't there, right? When we're talking about bringing other people life, well, there's the receiving end of that, correct? And then there's the giving end of that. And that's what we see in these verses. There's, there's, there's the side of, of receiving, there's the side of giving. There's the side of sharing, there's the side of humbly Humbly receiving. And I want to talk about the receiving end of that first because it has to do with the Apostle Paul. Look back in verse 12 if you would. Verse 12 says that you know, Paul is planning on sending relief for Titus. Do you see that? As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you. He can't decide which of the two he's going to send. This is the only time we see the name Artemis. I don't know who he was. Uh, we, we don't know anything else about him, but we'll have a conversation with him in heaven. Who are you, and what did you do, and how did you serve Paul? That'll be an interesting conversation. We do know a little bit about Tychicus, though. Tychicus is mentioned elsewhere. Maybe you want to jot in the margin of your Bible, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 4. We learn that Tychicus was from Asia. That's modern-day Turkey. We learn in, in Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 4 that he was a courier for the apostle Paul. He was a letter carrier. They didn't have the post office back then. They, was, they would have had individuals actually bring the letters and the epistles, and that's what Tychicus did for Paul. He would just do whatever it is that Paul wanted him to do. I think the most significant verse that we can read about Tychicus is Colossians 4.7. Colossians 4.7 says that Tychicus was a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Wouldn't you like to be remembered for that? Huh? Tychicus was just Paul's utility player. And whatever Paul needed from him, he just went, he just did it. But there's a reason why uh, Paul is sending relief. There's a reason why. He wants Titus to rendezvous with him in Victory City for the winter. Right? 
Meet me in Nicopolis because I want to spend the winter there. Do your best to get there because once the winter months come, the oceans are going to be way too rough uh, and too difficult to sail. So get there before winter so, because I want to spend the winter with you. Now, of course, Titus is going to need to wait until help comes because these churches are still too fragile to be left leaderless. But the moment Titus can break away, Paul wants him to come and make the trip from Crete to Nicopolis on the western side of Greece. Now, why Nicopolis, right? Why not Fort Myers? Why Nicopolis? Well, two reasons. There's a strategic reason. On the western side of, on the western side of Greece, that allowed the uh, Apostle Paul maybe to establish some other churches there. But it also would have allowed the Apostle Paul a place to stay until traveling would then allow him to go to Rome and then maybe beyond to, to Spain. If you read the end of the book of uh, uh, Romans, the Apostle Paul really wanted to go to Spain to, to preach the gospel there. We don't know if he got there or not, but maybe that's what Paul's intention was. A strategic reason, Nicopolis. But I think there's another reason there, and it has to do with bringing people life. I think there's a personal reason. I think Paul needed some life. I think he needed some encouragement, and not just from anyone. I think he needed to rub shoulders with a member of his leadership team, one of his lieutenants, someone who has had a kindred passion to start and nurture churches, someone who's kind of in the trenches of ministry with him, someone who can identify and share with both the highs and the lows and the joys and the struggles. And, and that's not anybody, for Paul is going to be Titus. Let me ask you a question. Can you tell when your soul needs life? Can you tell? And what do you do about that? What do you do about that? Do you just kind of sit around and wait till someone else figures out that maybe your soul needs life? Huh? Can't read your mind. I can't read your soul. See? The Apostle Paul, he was not ashamed to say, I need, I need some life here. Gordon MacDonald um, is a pastor and author, and he's written a book. This is, this is several years old, but it's a great book. It's called Restoring Your Spiritual Passion. And he talks about people who bring you life and then maybe those who don't. Uh, he calls them uh, fillers versus drainers. Let's take a look at this little chart here. <laughs> the fillers are uh, three types of people he talks about. He talks about the very resourceful people, those who ignite our passion for faith and Christ-like performance. Haven't you ever been around those kinds of folks? They just, they just ignite a passion for faith. The very resourceful people. Then there are the very important people. These are the people who share your passion. And they are prepared to become fellow workers. And they, they are just great comrades in ministry. And then there are the very trainable people, those who catch our passion. You know, we ignite the passion, and then they catch the passion, right? These, these folks, when you, when, you, when you spend time with them, when you, when you rub shoulders with them, they just fill you. They bring you life. Unfortunately, there are some who don't. There are the, Gordon MacDonald calls, the very nice people. The very nice people. 
These are the folks who enjoy our passion and are very prepared to be kind and good to be around, but they're not going to catch the passion, so they just kind of end up absorbing all the energy without any result at all. I kind of call them bobblehead people. (laughs) You know, they just kind of, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Nothing, nothing. And then there are the very draining people. Gordon MacDonald calls these folks... He says, they're like cereal. They sit in the bowl and sop up the milk. <laughs> they sap our passion, and, and they're just not particularly fun to be around. Huh? Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And, and no, we're not going to start passing out name tags. All right? Every leader has to deal with both. If you are in leadership, you know what I'm talking about here. You know what I'm talking about. And every leader has to deal with both both kinds of folks. But, but here's every leader needs to do a self-check or a self-audit. And if you're feeling lifeless, you see, you know, a leader like Paul needs to be around the very nice people and the very draining people so that Paul can give them the gospel so that the Holy Spirit will transform them so that they will be trainable and, and important and resourceful people, all right? But every leader needs to do a self-check or a self-audit. If you're feeling lifeless, if you kind of feel like your soul has been sapped, then you need to touch base with resourceful people, important people, trainable people, and get energized. I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul was doing. I think that's why he wanted Titus to get there and get here before winter. Because if he doesn't get there before winter, then it's going to be several months. He's, it's not like he can take the next weekend train. Now, you may ask yourself, well, what if I don't know any resourceful people or important people or trainable people? What if I don't have those people in my life? What if I can't think of any? If that's the case, then you need to rethink how you do Christianity. I mean, Titus ends the way nearly all of the Apostle Paul's letters end, right? His letters close with a list of names and people. And these names and these folks, they are people with faces and stories and lives. They are Paul's closest community. Christianity is community. I love golf, but Christianity is not golf. It's football. I like to watch tennis, but Christianity is not tennis. It's basketball. I don't particularly like downhill slalom, and that's good because Christianity is not downhill slalom. It's hockey. It's not an individual sport. Do you get what I'm saying here? It's a team effort. Christianity is a tribe, a community, a faith, a a, a family, a society, a people. Christianity is about we and us, not me, myself, and I. And that is so difficult, church, because our, our entire culture is just built on rugged individualism and personal freedom. And the New Testament world knew nothing of individual rights and freedoms. I mean, they, they, it was community. It was tribe. It was family. And Paul needs some community here. He needs life. And he wants Titus to come and bring him some life. I love, this, I love this verse about Titus in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. Listen to this. But the God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Isn't that a great verse? Comforted us. That word comfort also means encourage to encourage. Wouldn't it be great if others said that about our church family, about Windsor Road? 
that when, that when Windsor Road comes to someone or someone from the church family comes, they come to encourage. They don't come to take or to siphon off or to suck dry. They come to give. They come to comfort. They come to build up, cheer up, speak up, speak encourage into the lives of others. Wouldn't it be great if others said that about you? About do they? Do they? Huh? Now we're kind of moving on to the other side of the coin, aren't we? When you, when you walk into a room and someone looks up from their desk, do their eyes light up? Do they? When someone answers the phone and they find out it's you, what's their tone? What's their tone? Well, they don't understand my life. No, 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 wait a minute. You can offer as many excuses as you want, but the bottom line is if others aren't comforted by your coming, then how much of your life is being led by Jesus' life because Jesus always always brought people life. And that's what the Apostle Paul needed. And, and you know what? This very thing that the Apostle Paul wants, he wants it not merely from Titus, but he also wants it from the house churches on Crete. So not only on the receiving end does the Apostle Paul need life, but on the giving end, now we're talking about these churches from Crete who need to br- and who can bring life. Verse 13, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Stop right there. So now Paul is telling us, get the story here, Paul is now telling us who brought the letter of Titus to Titus. Zenos and Apollos. Now we don't know who Zenos is. Other than the fact, this is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. We don't know who Zenos is other than the fact that he's a lawyer. He is a Roman jurist, which, which would have made him an outstanding member of Paul's uh, a missionary team and traveling. His background and his legal mind would have made him a great contribution. And with Zenos was a Jewish man named Apollos. Isn't it interesting, too, in terms of how the gospel spread? Paul put, Paul put someone from a Hebrew background and someone from a Gentile background together. They had two, two different heritages, two different racial backgrounds, and yet together they are serving for the cause of Christ. And if you were to write down uh, Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 25, you would learn this about Apollos. You would learn that he's highly educated, probably went to the University of Alexandria, which was a famous university in the first century. He, he had, a, he had a, a, an acute mastery of the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was an incredibly powerful speaker and teacher, Acts 18, 24 and 25. So you have Apollos with his theological and rhetorical and academic background teamed up with Zenos with his amazing legal background and they were quite a formidable team. And we're not sure where they were going but the Apostle Paul, we do know that they went through Crete and they went through Crete to get this letter to Titus and my guess is is that Apollos was also sent to Crete to combat some of the false teaching that went on from those from Hebrew background the false teachers the false uh, the false teachers from the circumcision group and those who wanted to focus on Jewish myths and genealogies Apollos was just the guy to deal with it and Paul told Titus 
to have these churches give an offering that would help pay for the travel expenses of Zenos and Apollos. Look at verse 13 again. See that they have everything they need means this. Have an offering for these missionaries. That's what it means. Get these missionaries some travel money. Do you see what's going on here? See, Paul wants these churches from Crete. Now, these were the folks, these were the Titus 1.12 folks, right? Remember, last time I'm going to mention it, our memory verse from Titus, Cretans are what? Always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Yeah, that's the stock that they came from before Christ. But now, when the grace of Christ appeared, they were transformed. The, the Titus 1.12 people, the Titus 3.3 people, the foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved people, these deceitful Cretans who were once so very far from Christ, they now belong to Christ. They are now heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And God wants them to be players in his mission enterprise. And so from the very beginning, God wants these young Christians, these young churches, to be mission-minded He wants these churches to be about the business of being missional, encouraging and supporting and bringing life to other missionary workers and servants and leaders so that the gospel will go out. Paul is calling them to be selfless. Paul is calling them to look beyond their island to the entire empire, to the entire world that needs Jesus. And what that means is, what that means, church family, is that these Cretans are not going to immediately see the fruit of their labor they're not going to immediately see the fruit of their encouragement they're going to make sure that Zenos and Apollos are well supplied for travel they're going to send them off not certain what the fruit of their good will be but they are going to do it anyway because Paul said in verse 14 our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good you see that phrase doing what is good we see that several times in Titus. In Titus 1 verse 8, elders must love what is good. In Titus chapter 1 verse 16, false teachers are unfit for doing anything good. In Titus chapter 2 verse 14, grace appeared to create a people eager to do what is good. In Titus chapter 3 verse 8, heirs of God must devote themselves to doing what is good. And here it means bringing life to others and supporting outreach beyond their walls. And that's exactly what they did. And what this means for them and what it means for us, listen, don't ever underestimate your uh, ability to impact the lives of others by your encouragement. All right? Don't ever estimate that. I think if there are things that keep me from being a better encourager or what would keep me from, uh, you know, improving on this skill of bringing life to others, I just think I sometimes forget how much impact my encouragement can be. And I'm thinking about the story of Charles Francis Adams, who was Abraham Lincoln's ambassador to Great Britain. Charles Francis Adams uh, once took his eight-year-old son Brooks fishing. And Adams didn't think his son had a very good time. So at the end of the day, Charles Francis Adams wrote in his diary, went fishing with my son, a day wasted. Ironically, his eight-year-old son also kept a diary. And he too wrote about that very same day, 
and Brooks Adams wrote, went fishing with my father the most glorious day of my life. And through the next 40 years, there were constant references to that day and the influence it had on his life. Oh, church family, let me tell you something. Don't forget this. Don't forget that bringing life matters and don't forget the impact that we have when we devote ourselves to doing what is good. And, and I want to tell you something. I am so encouraged by the good that God has been doing through you all. Uh, oh, this, I, just, I can't wait till you get this in the mail next week. This is the offering letter. Uh, and I have just been talking about this. Here, my, my, my offering letter this next week is uh, just about the good that God has been doing through you. And I, I, I'm thinking about our trips to the Dominican Republic and to Peru that took place this past year. I'm thinking about the, uh, the trip to El Paso, Texas to encourage Greg Hunt, who's the lead pastor at Paseo Christian Church. We've had a share in that. We've had a partnership in that. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about Family Resource Day in August where the men and women and children of our church family donated you know, hundreds of backpacks to the under-resourced. And how can I not yet again, how, how can I not, how can I fail to forget weekend of service and the good that 900 of our church family did in this community? Uh, 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 and then there's enjoying table fellowship with our sister church restoration church and then what about the good that you all did for your fellow family members here in the ten thousand dollar plus benevolence offering uh, to help those in our church family hit hard by the economy Uh, i mean can you just think of some ways that god has maybe used you to bring life to others uh just this past year um when we bring life to others, when we bring life to others, you know what happens? Jesus gives us more life. Jesus gives us more life to share. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul ends verse 15 with, Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. Because God's grace, I mean, his storehouse of grace is infinite. And we shovel it out, and he shovels it in, and his shovel is bigger than ours. Betty Tucker put it this way. Betty Tucker at Children's Memorial said, I'm a praying lady. I pray every night for every room and every person in the hospital. I start with the basement and I go up floor by floor, room by room. I pray for the children. I pray for the families. I pray for the nurses. I pray for the doctors. I say every night while I'm driving into work on the expressway, Oh Lord, I don't know what I'll face tonight but I pray you'll guide me through. I do think she is the most important person at Children's Memorial Hospital there in Chicago. Church family, let's be a church that brings people life. Okay? Now, let's just not, let's just not nod our heads about that. Uh, in your bulletin, you would have received a little postcard. You see that? Here's what I want us to do. Um, we're going to, here's what's going to happen here in the next few minutes. I'm going to explain to you what this is, and we're going to move into a time of communion and offering, and um, I'm going to encourage you to uh, receive communion as a family and come up to the tables here, and then to bring your offering to as well to the tables 
uh, and then uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna close in prayer, and then Josh is gonna take us out uh, with a closing song. I would just love it if you could hear in the next few minutes. If you could just would you would you bring some life to someone? Would you do that here? And here's what I'd really like you to do. You know, you can mail these, or you can look around the room right now. Okay? You can look around the room right now. Maybe they're in the same aisle as you. Maybe they're somewhere here. Maybe they're, maybe they're uh, in, uh, serving with our children right now. You know, it'd be great if you could bring some life to some people, like right here, right now. And what that would mean is you'd fill out just, just a few lines of encouragement. Bring people alive. Bring, bring them alive. And just use the whole card if you want. Okay? Write on both sides. It's okay to write on the photograph. All right? But bring someone alive. And then you know what? Here, here. Get up from where you're seated and go to where they are and you give them this card. Okay? And you give it to them. And you bring them life. And you share some love. Okay? And you encourage them, and you comfort them, and you be a Titus, okay? You be a Titus. That's what I'd like you to do. I'd like for people to just be, in fact, you can start right now if you want. Just start writing, thinking of people, and then if if the next, whatever you want to just, I'm just, we're going to kind of do a little gospel jazz here. If you want to get up and share and talk and visit, that'd be fine. But then we're going to have communion and offering. I want to tell you about the encouragement that I've received here just in the past uh, 10 hours. Uh, Mary Simpkins has encouraged me greatly. Mary Simpkins um, joined the church here just in the past year. Mary Simpkins, 91 years old. Um, Mary would come second service and... um, uh, Brian, she'd sit just right on the other side of the aisle from you in, 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 in a wheelchair with her family. And I'd come in from second service and I'd see her there and greet her. And uh, then I'd take a knee uh, right by her. And uh, she just had such a beautiful smile. Uh, she was a preacher's wife. And, uh, and she, her husband uh, served as a missions professor at Lincoln Christian College. And uh, he's uh, long passed away, uh, but I would take a knee uh, next to her chair, and uh, uh, I would see her lovely smile, very frail body, but very beautiful smile, and uh, um, I would be asking her how she was doing, and she'd tell me she was feeling frail. I said, well, let's pray about it, and I would pray with her right there, and uh, then she would say to me, um, preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel, Randy. Um, just give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Okay? And uh, Mary died last night. Um, I got the call at 12.36. And uh, Mary's daughter asked me, uh, the chaplain called, and I met the family uh, in the emergency room. And uh, we went back to room number eight. And uh, there, was, there was Mary, and then there was her family. They all circled around her. And uh, Mary's daughter said, Randy, Mom would have wanted you to come and uh, pray with us. 
And uh, so that's why we called you. And I said, I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you did. And we held hands. And we thanked God for Mary's life. And we thanked God for her encouragement. And uh, then I left. And uh, one of Mary's granddaughters followed me out. And said, Randy, I just want you to know. Mom had a fantastic Christmas. Or Grandma had a fantastic Christmas. The family got to be together, and it was so encouraging. It was so encouraging. Oh, church. That's what I'm talking about. Be the believer that brings other people life. Will you do that now? Get working on your cards, okay? And uh, share, and let's share a bunch of love, and let's be a community, and let's take communion and uh, let's uh, share your offering. And then, uh, then we'll go out joyfully, joyfully. Because we, <laughs> we're headed to Victory Town. Amen.